You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know who I am. Cam mentioned my name. My name is John Fortune. I'm one of the pastors in our church. And I'm so thankful to come and visit Rail City Campus. Tiffany, my wife, and I have been able to come a few weeks now and get to see you guys. And I just want to say that I'm, I'm really grateful for what's going on in this place. Uh, it's really exciting to see you guys actually on the ground in Port Moody doing the work of God, planning a church, loving a city. Uh, so that's very exciting. I'm so glad to be here. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, so if you have a Bible, you can turn there with me. It'll be the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate that. I think my subwoofer's going off a bit there. We're good. Ephesians chapter 6, and here's what's going to happen today. The author is going to tell us how to love other people the way that God does, okay? And then he's going to tell us how to do it. So that's pretty helpful information, especially how to love our families and our kids, especially how to love our families and our kids. My hope is to show you that you love like God, you love like the Father in heaven when you create a spiritual home for other people, when you create a home for other people. So we're talking a lot about parenting today. We're talking a lot about kids being a mom and being a dad, and you may not have children. You may wish that you did have children, um, and that's okay. I believe God has something for you to say, something to say to you today. I really do believe that God has a word for you in this. Paul's actually going to use families and parenting as a metaphor for all of our relationships in life. So try and see it as a metaphor. You may be a parent, a young parent like me, and be wishing you could have a break from being a parent, right? <laughs> but either way, being a mom or a dad is, is not a prerequisite for the passage today. Okay, so Paul's going to help you understand, you specifically, parent or not, wherever you're coming from, what God has for you to walk into, how God wants to show you how to love other people, everybody, not just the people you like, how to love other people, everyone, just like the Father does. Okay, he's going to use a family as a metaphor. I just want to say, though, as it seems like you guys have a pretty good handle on this. And I don't, I'm not being disingenuous, I really, like, I came early, there's a stage set up, there's chairs set up, Cam went on for like 10 minutes about how you guys are reaching out into your city and into the world, you guys come early, you set up flags of welcome to the stranger, you welcome people in, you move your cars out of the way for people so that they can feel welcome in this place, you take a conference room, right, my kids are over there, you transform it into a place where kids just get to be themselves, so what are you doing when you're doing that? Are you just doing, simply doing church? No, you're not doing church. You're doing, what you're doing is you're doing your, is your father's work. You're doing what God loves, right? Even though, okay, even though there's a pandemic happening, uh, you guys decided we're going to plant a, ch- we're going to plant a church anyway. We're going to, you know what? There's a pandemic happening. We're going to, we're not going to take a break. We're going to plant a church. Why would we do that? Because God loves these people, right? You said, hey, if my father in heaven loves these people, if God actually wants me to help him, then I'm in. I'm going to go to another city. I'm going to do church in a gym. I'm going to love people. I'm going to create a spiritual home for other people. You're loving others by creating a home for them. To love your city, your community, to love your neighbors, to love your family like God does, 
That's a noble pursuit, right? It's a, it's a good way to live. It's a good way to live. Um, it's not easy, though, is it? When we think about loving our families, think about loving the people around us, it's not easy, not really. Not at all. <laughs> Even though it takes work, I think we all feel that it's, it's worthwhile, right? It's worthwhile to at least try to love other people the way that God does. Because we've experienced that, that love ourselves. And sometimes we do well, and more often than not, it can be very, well, really very challenging. Right? Why today, young child, are you giving me a hard time? Why today do I have this red light and this car in front of me? It can be very challenging in the simplest things in life. You love like the Father when you cultivate a sense of home for other people. When I was, watch, I was watching a movie recently, is um, a Mr. Rogers documentary sort of story with Tom Hanks. as a drama about the life of Mr. Rogers. And in the movie, there's a reporter. He's a, a saboteur. Okay? He's a takedown artist. He, he goes and he mangles up people's reputation and kind of exposes them for the fakes that they really are. Right? That's his goal. So he sees Mr. Rogers. He's going to do that to Mr. Rogers. And the power of the movie is not in Mr. Rogers and his family being the real deal. That's not the power of the movie. The power of the movie is found in the story, like within the story. The story of this aggravated and burned out reporter being won over by peacemaking love. Being won over by the kindness of his new friend, Mr. Rogers, who actually helps him restore peace in his own family. It's the most beautiful part of the movie if you know it. And what I love about it, what I love about that movie is that it's a reminder of that desire that we all have. We all want to be people like that. We want to be the people that create a home for other people. We want to be the people that are the kind person. We want to be the people that make peace with our friends, that make peace with our enemies. There's a deep desire in us that really does want that, Christian or not, right? You might be trying to restore relationships with your kids right now. now that's a super difficult thing. There might be broken relationships all around your life. And you're trying to lean in and say, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know what's next. Help me to love the way God does. How do we do it? What does it mean to love people well? We want the people closest, up, closest to us to see that we care for them. So how do we do it? What does Jesus say about family love? What does our passage have to say? So we're in Ephesians chapter 6. And Paul is going to show us how to love other people uh, the way that God does. So I'm just going to flip to it myself here. Ephesians chapter, Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. You all have been studying this passage, and I'm really thankful. I was actually just talking with Cam, and I got to hear a couple sermons that you guys have been going through. I want to just lay out a very strong controlling idea for the, really the rest of chapter 6. A couple weeks, I think it was last week maybe, Cam was talking about being filled with the Spirit and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So as we're filled with the Spirit, we're enabled to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the one another. That's every other. That's anybody. You can submit to anybody because you are filled with the Spirit in reverence to Christ. And that really is a controlling idea. Paul's thinking about that a lot as he writes the rest of chapter 6, and especially as we go into this this morning. 
If this is your first time here and you have no idea what Ephesians is or who Paul is, I'll just catch you up a little bit, okay? Paul, a long time ago, 2,000 years ago, wrote a letter to a church in Ephesus. And he's teaching new Christians what it means to love like God does. They've experienced that love. They're saying, how do I share it? How do I share this with other people, specifically my family? And Paul's not just zeroing in on family. He's zeroing in on parents and dads. Laser focus, right, dads? Right? Just right in the focus. He's coming in at you. So we're going to read this together. Um, Please stand with me if you're able. Um, I'm going to read from Scripture. And as you're standing, I want you to think, Lord, would you speak to me today? I'm not just standing because the pastor asked me to. I'm standing because I want God to speak to me through this text. Okay? This is what it says. Put on my my best dad voice. Okay? (laughs) Children. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline, the instruction of the Lord. I'm going to pray for us. Heavenly Father, today I pray... Lord, that we would hear what you're saying to us. Lord, I pray that you would open my eyes to see what you're you're speaking to us and saying to us, showing us in your love. I pray for each of my friends today, I pray for this church, that we would hear what you have to say. Father, would you teach us? We have humble hearts. We want to be led by you. We want to trust you. So would you help us to follow you? Put courage in our hearts, Lord. Put courage deep in our hearts to follow what you're calling us into. Jesus' name I pray, not my own. Amen. Amen. You guys can have your seats, and thanks for standing with me. Like I said before, I think Paul is going to show us that we love like God. Man, you have a love like God. You love like the Father in heaven when you give people a sense of home. When you create a home, a spiritual home for other people, when people feel at home with you, some people have uh, characterized this as a non-anxious presence. The way that Paul teaches the passage is really in two points, okay? So the first point, it's quite clear, it's pretty short. The first point is about children loving your parents. And the second point is about parents, specifically fathers, loving your children, How are we supposed to do that according to Paul? How do children love their parents? Number one, by obeying them. Number two, by honoring them. Okay, pretty straightforward. A little bit confusing. Those words sound similar. We'll get into it. The second thing he says, fathers love your children. How do we do that? Don't provoke them, but instead bring them up in the Lord. So there's a key, there's a key understanding of a word here. It's always in the Lord. If you look at your, if you look at the text, when Paul is saying in the Lord, Okay, this is important for us to understand what he means. It's essentially shorthand, okay? Paul is giving us a shorthand phrase for what it means to follow Jesus. In other words, this is how you must live in the Lord. Live in the Lord. This is how you must follow Jesus in the Lord. What it means to prioritize Jesus, putting everything in the Lord under submission to him, following his direction for our lives. Everything submits to him as Lord. That's what it means to be in the Lord. But it gets a bit confusing because it has some double meaning here when we start talking about kids and children. When it comes to his teaching on children, obey your parents, 
children obey your parents. It is, yeah, simply about being Christian, but it's also about Christ being the final authority, okay? So yes, we want to be Christian, but what if my parents are Christian? Then who's in charge? Still, Jesus is in charge. Still, Jesus is the one you submit to. So let's give an example. Like, that would never happen. When would parents ever disobey the Lord, right? Let's say a parent tells a child to do something that is very much against what God wants, okay? So let's say, for example, my wife Tiffany goes to the, this is a real story, yes. Tiffany goes to the washroom, my, my daughters are with me at the table, and Tiffany has left her cheesecake on the table. And as Tiffany goes to the washroom, I take some of the cake, okay? And I look at my daughter Ellie, who's five years old, and I wink at her. <laughs> Don't say anything. <laughs> and I think, hey, no one's the wiser. Tiffany comes out, and... Eleanor, with her, with her truthfulness in her heart, betrays her dad, right? <laughs> Mommy, daddy took your cake, right? If a parent asks a child to, if I, if I ask my daughter to lie to her mama, <laughs> what should she do? If Jesus is in charge, right? Dad's not, Jesus is in charge. Then she should tell on her daddy. <laughs> and she did. So in some cases, right, that's a silly example, but in some cases, the most Christian thing a child could do in a moment is to disobey their parents if they're doing it in the Lord. We need to love God first and our parents second. And the same is true of parents, okay? We need to love God first and our children second. We need to love God first. In both of these relationships, right, you think of Jesus being the relationship. It's not my, my giving to my kids and making sure they have the life that I didn't have. It's putting Jesus, I, everything I have, submitting all my influence, all that I am to Christ. And my kids are here. I love my kids. I prioritize them, but not ahead of Jesus. The same is with our kids, right? When, kids to parents. You're a child, right? You're somebody's child. We don't, we don't look at our parents and say, well, you know, they're higher than Jesus. No, Jesus is higher than our parents. If you think about uh, what that means, it starts to really help you when it comes to confusing authority from your parents. Jesus is the one we're really following. I want you to remember, as Paul's using the family, he's talking about parents and kids, it's a, it's a metaphor. It's a mer- metaphor for all of life. It's a metaphor for all of your relationships. And he's showing us, it's not just about parents, When you love like God, okay, when you cultivate, you love like God when you cultivate a home for other people, when you give people a sense of home in their heart, when you you create a spiritual home for people, when they feel that you love them, you're loving like the Father. And you, that, (laughs) let me tell you something, you can never fail at that. If you do it out of love. You can never fail at something if you do everything out of love. Okay. Well, let's get textual for a few minutes, all right? What do I mean by that? Let's get into some of the scripture. If you are someone's child, which we all are, following Jesus means really two things according to this text. Number one, that you obey. And number two, that you honor them. It sounds pretty similar, but let's talk about how they're not. You obey your parents, right? You obey your parents as long as... Their instruction is godly. As long as their instruction is godly. Why? Why should you obey your parents as long as their instruction is godly? 
Well, when you were a child, right, when you were just a wee baby, somebody loved you. If you've ever had to change a first diaper, okay, that person really loves you. (laughs) Do you see what I'm saying? That's some nasty stuff. And they love you with a love like nobody else loves you. It's just what Paul is saying. It's right. It's just common sense. They love you. They've given your life for you, their life for you. Why, why wouldn't you listen to what they have to say? Right? Obey them. It's just, it seems right. As long as, as long as their advice is godly. So number one, obey. Number two, honor. Honor is a loaded word. <laughs> Okay, honor is a very loaded word. It means different things to different people. I didn't feel honored by that conversation. It can get really messy. And so I want to clarify what this word means. Uh, in scripture, the scripture we're talking about today, it means primarily two things. Okay? Firstly, to honor somebody means literally to give weight to them. Okay? It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean they're large in your eyes. It means you give weight to their words. It means what they say actually matters to you. That's what it means to honor somebody, that you give weight to their words. So if you can imagine your parents and what they're saying to you, or maybe your child or whoever it is in your life, and what they're saying, when you honor them, you're putting weight into what their words are. So you take, you take a rock, right? And, it's, and maybe, maybe for some of us, our parents' expectations, a rock too heavy to hold, <laughs> okay? Maybe you've put too much weight on your parents, you need to submit that to Jesus. But we take, we take our parents, what they say, who they are, and make sure that it matters to us. But if you think of a scale on your, of your life, think of the scale of your life. You add weight to what your parents say, but then you compare that with what God says about you and who you are and what God's called you to. It need, God, what God says has to outweigh every time. Ideally, it's like, it's like this, right? Ideally, what your parents are saying, what God's saying is right. But if they're different, God needs to be outweighing it every single time. But that doesn't mean we discount what our parents say. It's important. If you're a parent, you want your kid to hear you. What does God have to say about you? What does your parents have to say about you? When you honor somebody, you're adding weight to what they say. In Scripture, we can see this everywhere, right? And we can see that parents honoring is all over the place. Paul references another, another passage of the, you know, the commandments. Honor your parents. Honor your father and mother. It will go well with you in the land. But honor also means a second thing. Honor also means to cover for somebody. To cover for somebody. To give them covering. And the story I like to tell of parents, of kids honoring their parent and covering them is the story of Noah and Genesis. And maybe you know it. But Noah has just, you know, he's just gotten off the ark. He's, called, he's completed his, really, his life's mission. And he's started a vineyard. He's an old man. He started a vineyard. That's what old men do, right? Started a vineyard. And he has cultivated a lot of wine. And he has tested a lot of his wine. Okay? So this is before spittoons were invented. And Noah is blackout drunk in a field. Okay? He's butt naked in a field, face down in a field. And his youngest son discovers him and thinks it's hilarious. Dad is butt naked in the field. And so he runs to his older brother. He says, come and see, dad is butt naked in the field. It's hilarious. And his other sons, instead of laughing, instead of running around town, roaring about how, how drunk their dad is, what they, scripture says this. They turn their face away. They don't look. They grab a blanket and they cover their father. They walk backward and they cover their father with honor. Okay, so... So honoring your parents means two things. It means you give weight to what they say, but it also means you cover for them. 
you cover for them. Now, this, is, uh, this, is, this gets dangerous, but let me explain what I mean. Even when their dad was foolish, even when he did a stupid thing, okay, they didn't run around town saying, look, dad messed up. They didn't put it all over social media. They didn't tell all their friends to make them feel be- some, themselves feel better. They honored their dad even when he failed. There's a proverb that talks about this in Proverbs 11, 12 to 13. Whoever belittles, we can go there on the, on the screen actually. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, okay? But a man of understanding remains silent. Verse 13, whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. So is the Bible arguing, I know if you're like me, you're quite cynical, quite skeptical. Is the Bible arguing to keep silent, to not tell truth to power, that we should cover up for people? No, that's not what it's saying. Is it saying that we should enable poor behavior? No. What it's saying is we don't, right, we don't shoot our wounded. When dad's hurt, we don't take it to him harder. Parents are people. They need grace, just like you and I do. So yeah, we still need to tell the truth to power, but we don't, children, you want to honor your parents, uh, don't confuse that for moments when you need to be tenderhearted toward your parent. Not just about parents. When others around us fail, it's not our moments to, you know, the, what, is the, what is the German word, schadenfreuden? It's not our moment to take joy in their pain. When others around us fail, we don't run around shaming them. We try to make ourselves feel better. It is actually more honorable, okay, to cover for them or to look past their faults. Don't you feel honored when somebody looks past your faults and gives weight to what you say? That's what children are supposed to do. And you can see how this reaches beyond your relationship with your parents, what it might look like with other people in your life. Think of this. What might it look like for you to give weight to what your boss says? To honor them. What might it look like to cover for your landlord? That's the last person I cover for, right? No, what might it look like to honor them? What might it look like to cover for them? What is Paul teaching you about the relationships with your parents and other people? You love like God, okay? You love like God when you cover people's shame. You love like God when you give weight to what they say. When you do this, people feel at home. They feel freed. They feel seen. They light up, and you get the privilege of doing that. You get the privilege of loving them like God. Children are to love God. When they do that, they obey and honor their parents. If you're a parent following Jesus, loving like the Father, living in Christ means two things. Okay, our text talks about this. The, the environment of your home, the environment of your home is not filled with anger, but instead with a messy reliance on Jesus. Following Jesus as a parent means that the environment of your home isn't filled with anger, but a messy, authentic reliance on Jesus. Second thing it means is that you love your child You love like God when you understand how God has wired your child. You're like, wow, that's a hop, skip, and a jump exegetically. Help help me get there, John. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Okay, so in Ephesians 6, 4, Paul sets his sights, really, zeroes in on fathers. And what does he say to them? Fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't do it. 
We're tempted, aren't we, dads? Yeah, we are. Yeah. For most of my life, I've heard this, and I've even quoted this to my own dad. Hey, don't egg on your kids. Hey. That's how I've thought of this verse. That's how I've interpreted it. You don't want them to become angry and throw a fit in Costco. It's just unwise. Don't do it. Right? We're like, oh, yeah, simple wisdom. Great, moving on. But as I thought about it more, instead of looking at it, we can go back, yeah, that verse right there. As I thought about it more, I stopped looking at it like two separate sentences. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's actually one sentence. As I thought about it more, I saw as one whole command, okay? And here's what I mean by that. Think of Paul giving us one command more like, don't train your child to be angry. Train them. Train them to follow Jesus. Don't train your child to be an angry kid. Train them in the ways of God. Do you see the difference? It's not so much about incidental aggravation. It's not about avoiding daily meltdowns because dad got everybody riled up. It is a call to all parents, not just dads, moms too. Maybe they're not even your biological kid. Everybody. It's a call to be diligent about the environment of your home, to, pro to protect the child's heart. Don't provoke it to anger. Don't stir up anger in that child's heart. Don't put anger in their soul. Instead, <laughs> help the child to feel understood by their parents who always showed them Jesus. Let me show you how I'm, I'm seeing that in, in the word provoke. So let's look, look at this word in verse 4, provoke. Okay, we have a kind of a Bible word breakdown for you guys. If you're curious, you're nerdy like me, you like to get into the text. Okay, this is what the word provoke means. Uh, this is a transliteration. It does sound like pierogies, okay? Perogizo, okay? Okay, and what it, what it means is to provoke to anger. I love how the NIV in most translations do it is exasperate. Others will say stir up anger. Embitter, I think is helping us get there. We start to understand don't embitter your child. Oh, don't torment your child. This is an ongoing sense. It's a way of parenting. When Paul is directing his parents, he's saying, don't continually provoke your child to anger. Don't continually stir up anger in a kid's heart. Don't embitter them by your example. You're a parent. Guard their heart by guarding your behavior. How do I do that? How do I guard my behavior? You have to guard your heart. And then we start to, start to see Paul saying, hey, this is how you love like the father. It's about what's in your heart, mom. It's about what's in your heart, dad, grandma, uncle, boss, landlord. How are you loving the people that are following you? Right, we think, okay, I gotta guard my behavior. I'm going to hide all the alcohol above the fridge in the tallest cabinet so my kid never sees me drink, right? We think I just got to guard all my dirty habits and my kids will never see, hey, do as I say, not as I do, right? And this, isn't, this isn't at all what Paul's saying. It's not about that. It's actually about modeling messy grace that runs to Jesus. If you don't want to provoke rebellion in your child, you need to give them authentic relationship, Okay? You need to give them an authentic view of what's going on in your life. They need to see who you are and how you act when you're broken. To put it another way, like simply how I think about it, rules without relationship is just going to make rebellion. Okay? 
Your kids are privileged to see your weakness and, and your faith. It's about letting them see your weakness and your reliance on God. If you're a parent, without even trying, you're going to set the culture of your home. So following Jesus understands that you don't want to have a home that's filled with anxiety and anger. Instead, you have a home that's filled with a messy reliance on Jesus for your peace. Why? Because what you love is the most contagious thing about you. Right? I love motorcycles. So my kids pretend they're on motorcycles. Why? Because it's so contagious. What I love leaks out onto the people around me. Am I saying that, that you now need to go and be the perfect model for your kids? No, I'm not saying that. Uh, the opposite, actually. Am I saying that you need some sort, sort of, uh, you know, non-anger, non-anxious, okay, I have to turn my home into Skandinav. Okay, that's not the idea. That's not what I'm saying, genuinely. The, the idea is that on your good days, and especially on your bad days, now you get to demonstrate what it means to rely on Jesus especially the bad ones. And that helps your kid. Parents are the theology that their kids believe. Parents are your theology, are the theology that your kids believe. Part of my key in understanding this is found in the second part of the verse, right? Fathers, don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the teaching and instruction of the Lord. So Paul is referring to an, a famous proverb, Proverbs 22.6, Right? Does anybody know that? Probably not by number, but as soon as I say it. Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. Okay? Train up a child in the way that they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. But part of what stores up anger in a child's soul is the idea that they have to try to be somebody else for their parents. Think of your childhood. Did that make you angry? Trying to live up. Some of us have understood this to mean, okay, so if I force my kid to fit into this mold of moral purity and how they got to act, then even when they rebel against me, when they're old, the Bible says, they'll come back to it. They'll come on back and I'll be right all along. So we've held on, we've held on to this really misinterpretation of what this verse means for our lives and what it means for parenting. Parents don't predetermine everything for their kid, Right? There's a, a helpful um, commentary by Bruce Waltke, renowned Old Testament scholar, been to our church many times, and he clarifies the meaning, translating it differently. And it's been on the screen for you to see. So he says, he says this, and listen closely to the difference. Okay? Dedicate a youth, a, a child, young boy or girl, according to what his way dictates. Oh, something about who they are matters to this according to what his way dictates. Even when he becomes old, he will not depart from it. If my one, in other words, if my one kid loves ballet and the other doesn't, okay, do I just force them into the ballet mold? You gotta be just like your older sister. No, we would all say that's terrible parenting. Why? Because we, deep inside of us, we know that their way dictates a certain way to love them, a certain way to care for them. Don't provoke anger in your child's heart, but instead learn what makes them tick. And once you learn that, you can show them Jesus. Once they get it, now I can see Jesus. So how do you change the culture of your home? How do you invite the people closest to you to see Jesus in your life? I would say, yeah, definitely share the good days. It's not all humglum. <laughs> uh, funeral Christianity. 
It is, it is definitely the good days, absolutely, but lean in on the hard ones, model this especially. When I was learning, and I'm still learning, every week I'm learning, every day I'm learning. When I was learning how to model this in front of my kids, I was becoming quite frustrated because I would come home from work and I'd say, how's everybody's day? And I'd start with, you know, the kids, good, I forgot. And I'd ask mom, she'd kind of give me a try. Oh, you know, it's great, how's yours, right? Oh, I just can't get this family talking. What's wrong with this? Like, do we just like not? And I realized that I was only bringing up people's day or how they're doing on my good days. You start to talk about your bad days. And people open up. They start to empathize with you. They're going to learn about empathy by you demonstrating how God's helping you. You know, mom and dad, I would say this. It's okay. It's okay to tell your kids that your feelings got hurt today. It's actually a really good idea. Because then they're going to see what it's like. Right? They're going to see what it's like. I'm going to skip ahead here because I want to wanna get to the end. I want to be sensitive on some time here. When I, um, <laughs> when I, I, was, I was wondering how I could model this better for my kids, and so I was, I was playing a game with them, and I was like, hey, what's daddy's work face look like? So they all drop their chin, and they all pretend they're, they all pretend they're wearing glasses and typing. <laughs> I'm like, hey, what, is dad's, what does dad's angry face look like? And they all go like this. Right? I'm like, oh, when I saw that, my heart, <laughs> gosh. I was like, How? I want another chance at modeling that. And what I mean is, what I mean is, when I, want to be, I want them to see me angry again, okay? And how I go to God. I don't want to never be angry in front of my kid again. It's just an unrealistic idea. But I want to model that again. I, get, I hope I get another chance to show them what it means to be genuinely angry and still choose Jesus. When Paul said, fathers, don't provoke your children, he knew that you were going to miss the mark. He knew as parents that we were going to mess it up. So he knows we're going to fall short. And so what does he do? He says, show them Jesus. Show them Jesus. Don't provoke your children, but bring them up in the training of the Lord. The message says, take them by the hand and lead them to the master. Okay? When, we, when, when Jesus talks about how the father loves, he tells a story about two sons. There's one son, and maybe you know it, it's the story of the prodigal. There's one son who is infatuated with everything. And he goes to his father early in life and says, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. I want to move out. So his father gives him the inheritance. The other son, who's often forgotten in this story, let loneliness turn his heart ugly and cold. Jesus shows us that we love like the Father when we create a home for people, when lost people can belong with us. In this story of the prodigal, both sons are lost. Both sons are lost. In Luke 15, the two sons are born wealthy and they take different paths. The older son is false as well as the younger son. Even though he doesn't demand an early inheritance, his greed, right, and we'll see this in the text, his greed pines over every single dollar that his dad spends. And his darkness in his heart spreads and goes unchecked. In the story, every day, uh, Jesus says that the father was checking on the perimeter of his house and looking to see if his younger son was coming. He's looking to see, he's waiting. When he did come, he ran out to him and embraced him. After hitting rock bottom, the younger son does come. But I want to show you this picture of this painting here. Uh, we were talking about this the last couple of weeks. This is a 
picture of the prodigal son. I'm not sure how well you can see that. But on, on your left, there's the younger son, and on your right, there's the older son. <clears throat> when the lost boy returned, the servants came out to the older brother who was laboring in the field and invited him inside. And in Luke 15, 28, this is what it says. But he, the older son, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him and pleaded with him. But he answered, Father, look, these many years I've served you, I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, he's devoured your property with prostitutes, and you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The younger brother was not the only one who is lost, right? They're both on the perimeter of the property. They're both outside, and the father goes out to greet both of them. And he comes after the, the older son as well. He, Jesus is teaching us we love like the father when we make space for both lost people, everybody in our lives. He made space and he rebuilt his home. In the same way, the father came out to the older brother and he pleaded with him to come home. The older brother was always there, right, in body, but his heart took off a long time ago. In an effort to understand his kid, right, not provoke his kid, not provoke his kid to anger, but to teach him the way of the master, he goes out to his other son as well and invites him in. Come in and be with us. I've made space for you, even for the hard-hearted son. This is the picture that Jesus gives us of the father. You love like God when you create a home for other people. The tale of two sons is not about the sons at all, really. It's about a father who loves extravagantly and sensitively. It's about a father who's cultivating a home for both of his sons to be accepted. I want to I take a couple minutes here and just dive into the feelings of this father, okay? Think of how the father felt. Think of how the father felt, okay? He may have been hurt. Think of the different ways that he loved his children. This is the story Jesus gives us for a paradigm of how the father loves. When the older son bites back at him, when the older son bites back at the father, does the fa what does he do? Does he slam the door? He says, fine, you leave too. Have it your way. We'll see what consequence gets you. No. He doesn't cut him off. He gives him an invitation. Come and be with us. Come and be with us. Come and eat with us. In Romans, Paul talks about how do we overcome evil? How do we, how do we lead people to Jesus? How do we overcome evil? We don't overcome evil with more evil. We overcome evil with good. How do you train up a child in the way that they should go? You don't provoke your children. You don't provoke your children. You bring them to Jesus. Elsewhere in Proverbs it says, anxiety weighs somebody down, but a good word lifts them up. When you understand somebody, you can give them a good word. When a person is mean to you and you respond with meanness right back, I don't care if they're your mom, your dad, your kid, your coworker, your neighbor, somebody in the car beside you, you respond with mean right back, here's what you're doing. You're slamming the door on anything good to happen. You're saying, we're done. We don't want to provoke others. We don't want to provoke others to evil. We want to overcome evil with good. 
Earlier this week, I was reminded of a story. Maybe you know, maybe you know it well, but <clears throat> in the Lord of the Rings, there's, there's these two hobbits and there's this evil little creature called Gollum. Okay, and Gollum is with these these two hobbits, and one hobbit, Frodo, is loving Gollum. He's caring for him, and this other hobbit, Sam, is he just doesn't trust Gollum. He thinks he's the most evil, filthy, wicked little thing ever. So they're both sleeping, and there's this ring around Frodo's neck, this ring of power that everybody wants. And and Gollum thinks that Frodo and Sam are both sleeping. The book says in in Gollum's eyes there was a light that hasn't been there before. And this light is an old light. It's the light of humanity. It's the light of goodness. And while Gollum is walking toward Frodo, he's reaching out his hand. Okay, this is the most loving thing that that Gollum's ever done in a thousand years. Okay. He's reaching out his hand, and Sam thinks Gollum's about to rob Frodo. So Sam runs over to, to, to Gollum and says, Thief, get off of him. Sam provokes evil in Gollum. Gollum turns to Sam and he says, thief, huh? I'll show you. And there's a super sad line in the book. It says, the light went out of his eyes forever. What what Paul is warning us, this is a warning. Don't provoke your children. Don't use anger. Don't use, don't embitter them. Don't provoke other people. Lead them in the way of the master. Oh, how do you overcome evil? It's not with evil. It's with good. It's with good. You overcome the evil in your life and others by goodness, not condemnation, by leaving the door open. Think of the father. He left both doors open. He didn't shut the, he didn't shut the rebellious child out. He didn't shut the cold-hearted heart child out. He, he invited them both in to dinner. You love like the father when you build a spiritual home for people, not when you shut the door. Parent or not. What would it look like for you to love the people around you? I want you to think about this. To love, what does it mean for you to love your spouse this way? Have you shut the door? How could you have a home that cultivates love? How could you have a home that cultivates grace? The best place to start is by sharing your weakness. When you honor your parents, when, when you cultivate a home of grace, when you do everything you can to understand your kids, that's when you love like the Father. That's when you care for other people. When you're authentic about your weakness, when you encourage what's good in a person and invite them home, invite them to know who you are, that's when you build home for people. This is the biggest lesson I've learned, and we'll go to communion just after this. Paul is zeroing in on on fathers, and so I do want to speak to fathers directly, okay? Um, I know not every one of us feels like a father or is a father. (laughs) Look, as dads, we want to be strong for our kids. We do. We want to be strong for our kids, right? As moms, we want to be strong for our kids. As parents, as, as anybody that's following us, but especially as dads. But the fact is, you're not always strong. You can't always be strong. Eventually, they're going to be so big, you can't throw them on your shoulders. But as a dad, you have a special gift. As a parent, especially as a mom and a dad, you have a special gift that very few people have. You have the gift of teaching somebody what it looks like to follow Jesus when you're not enough. You have the gift of showing somebody what it looks like to still go after Jesus even when you're weak. 
because they, all they do is see you as the strong man. One day that little person is going to be faced with weakness and they will not know what to do unless somebody showed them what to do. They will be inept. They won't know how to handle their weakness unless mom and dad parented them to follow Jesus. Think of Paul, right? My power is made perfect in weakness. Right? Three times I pleaded that he would take this weakness away from me, but God said, no, my power is perfected in weakness. As you think about your leadership, dads, moms, role models, you have the gift of showing somebody what it looks like to be weak and rely on Jesus. We cannot love like God unless we've been loved by him. We cannot boast in our weaknesses unless somebody else strong is strong for us. We can't forgive unless we've experienced that forgiveness. You're never going to lead people into a life that loves like the Father unless you have felt his love. You could try, right? I've tried, and it'll wear you out. To love like the Father means that you know what his love is like. And so we're filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit out of reverence for Christ. We obey, we honor our parents. We love our kids. We love our kids. We don't stir up anger in a child's heart, but we show them Jesus instead. You and I love like God when we create a spiritual home for people. We're gonna go into communion now. I just wanna invite you to think about that. What does it look like for you to create spiritual home for the people around you? Beyond practically doing it here, but in your personal life. Is there an enemy that you have? Is there a boss that you don't like? Is there a person in your family where maybe you could open the door again? What I love about Jesus is he's always inviting people. He's always, he's the inviting God. He's always inviting people to a table. You look at his ministry and even when he tells the story of the father, he's always inviting his, his kids or his disciples into deeper relationship. Today, he invites us to the table. And what, we're going to, what I mean by that is Jesus is inviting us to a meal. And this is, a, this is not a meal in many ways, actually. This is a, a cellophane kind of thing with a very dry wafer. And, um, and, and the fact of the matter is it, it's a substitute. Uh, what, what it is is a symbol, right? It's a symbol of a meal. And as Christians, we realize we're coming to the table. Jesus is inviting me to come sit with him even though I haven't done well. Jesus is inviting me to follow him even though I've followed so many other things. Jesus is opening the door for me even though I've shut the door on so many other people. So we come to the table, we experience his love again. We, we receive bread and juice. We remember his body and his blood shed for us and poured out for us. Jesus is inviting you to the table today. He wants you to come to him as you are. Maybe you don't feel like a great dad. That's probably 90% of the time for me. Maybe you don't feel like a great parent. That's probably 90% of the time. But I learn to love like the father when I, when I feel that sense of home that he gives me, his peace that he gives to me, and I share that with other people. That only comes through Jesus. It may have been a long time since you have had supper with God. That's okay. You're welcome at the table. We practice an open table. And what I mean by that is if you want to follow Jesus, I don't care if it's the first time you're thinking that or the millionth time you're thinking that, you can come to the table, receive grace, remember that God is good, that he's my father and he loves me. He empowers me to love others that way. I want to pray for us. 
Lord, as we come to the table today, we're receiving uh, this bread and this juice. And it's a reminder for us that you are king, that everything submits to you, our families, our lives, the way we love our kids. We also look and we see our Father in heaven who has a table for us, prepared for us, even in the presence of strife of the world all around us. So when we come to the table today, we realize that, that always you are, you are our true home. You are our true peace. But we trust in you. I ask you in this moment, Holy Spirit, would you speak to our hearts? Show us what it means to go and love like you do. Show us what it means to feel uh, your presence. Be spirit-filled and go and love the world out of that heart. In Jesus' name I ask these things, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.